This video is brought to you by Mubi, a curated streaming service that premieres a new film every day. That's how men see me. I'm not a smart girl or an interesting girl. I'm a pretty girl. We're told that everyone wants to be the pretty girl, but is it really that much fun to be her? Pretty privilege is the belief that conventionally attractive people are given a leg up in life. And sure, desirable physical attributes can open doors, attract sought-after partners, and enable some lucrative professions. But a lot of what we see, on screen and in reality, also proves an opposite truth. Being defined as the pretty one, and especially the pretty girl, can hold you back. That's weird, I just wouldn't pay you for mechanical. Well, you know, I don't really broadcast it. Guys don't like it when you know more about cars than they do. Often, when a woman's seen as the pretty girl, that's all she's seen as. As Christina Hendricks, who played one of TV's most desired pretty girls, Mad Men's Joan Holloway, told The Guardian, There certainly was a time when we were very critically acclaimed and getting a lot of attention for our very good work and our very hard work, and everyone just wanted to ask me about my bra again. You should be in the bra business. Your work of art. Prettiness can also be associated with various moral failings of character. The gold digger trope instructs us to be wary of beautiful women because their beauty must be hiding some materialistic agenda, while the dumb blonde trope explicitly equates beauty with stupidity. And the beautiful villain, or femme fatale, is evil precisely because she wields her attractiveness knowingly to exert power over men. Ultimately, when people see you as this pretty girl type, they're really seeing preconceived, culturally entrenched notions of what your beauty represents, and so fail to get to know the real you. Meanwhile, you might diminish parts of yourself that aren't what people expect or want from a pretty girl. I can be smart when it's important, but most men don't like it. Here's our take on the pretty girl on screen and how, while we're encouraged to worship or try to be her, that pursuit can erode a deeper sense of self. I'm gonna be honest with you. I did not hear a word that you just said because I can kind of see your party hats right now. If you're new here, be sure to subscribe and click the bell to be notified about all of our new videos. has the effect of blinding other people to what someone may be capable of doing. In Legally Blonde, Elle Woods is first seen as a vacuous bimbo before she proves everyone wrong as a brilliant student at Harvard Law. But what's striking is that Elle herself already knew she was smart, as we see early on when a boutique employee assumes she's a dumb blonde. There's nothing I love more than a dumb blonde with daddy's plastic. And Elle, far from being taken in, shows off her sophisticated fashion knowledge. It's impossible to use a half-loop top stitching on low viscosity rayon, and you didn't just get it in. I saw it in the June Vogue a year ago, so if you're trying to sell it to me for full price, you picked the wrong girl. So Elle's journey isn't about changing who she is, but rather proving herself in traditional arenas of intelligence in order to be taken seriously. Isn't it the first cardinal rule of perm maintenance that you're forbidden to wet your hair for at least 24 hours after getting a perm, at the risk of deactivating the ammonium thiglocolate? In her book, My Body, Emily Ratajkowski, who came to fame primarily renowned for her looks, attempts to redefine herself apart from her beauty as an author and more three-dimensional person. She discusses an incident in which she was groped by Robin Thicke on the Blurred Lines video as a reminder of how limited any woman's power is when she survives and even succeeds in the world as a thing to be looked at. There's videos where, you know, you are topless and they go, well, 
What do you expect? And to that you say... I don't think that women, um, no matter what they're wearing or what they're doing, should be treated that agree. way. Yet even the critical response to the book revealed just how difficult it is for anyone who's been defined as the pretty girl to escape being viewed through that lens. On the one hand, some praised Radikowski for questioning the patriarchal structures that have exploited and allowed her to capitalize on her beauty. But on the other, critics argued that by writing almost solely about her body, she's still upholding those structures, still capitalizing on that beauty and possibly exploiting herself. One way to better understand the pretty girl identity is by examining movies and shows that feature multiple attractive actresses but only designate certain characters within the fiction as especially pretty. In Grey's Anatomy, female docs Izzy Stevens, Meredith Grey, and Christina Yang are all beautiful women. But Christina is known as a prodigious talent, and Meredith comes from a medical dynasty. These attributes supersede how they look in both their reputations and their senses of themselves. You're very beautiful. Oh, super beautiful. I'm brilliant. <laughs> If you want to appease me, compliment my brain. But Izzy is pigeonholed as the pretty one, and that means she's fighting an uphill battle against people's expectations to be taken seriously as a doctor. Morning, Dr. Model. Dr. Evil Spawn. Ooh, nice tag. They are brush that out for the catalogs. One reason Izzy's viewed this way is that she once capitalized on her beauty as a model, paying her way through medical school with lingerie shoots. Similarly to how Radikowski has sometimes spoken about her career breaks, Izzy actually talks about her modeling opportunities with a sense of defiant feminist empowerment. You want to call me Dr. Model? That's fine. Just remember that while you're sitting on 200 grand of student loans, I'm out of debt and the plot is revealing about how beauty can intersect with class. Izzy's beauty allowed her to achieve a social mobility that otherwise may have been difficult for a child who grew up in a trailer park with a single mom. At the same time, arguably, it's exactly her class background that means her beauty is treated differently to that of her colleagues. I grew up in a trailer park and I am not above kicking your pampered little Beverly Hills ass. Characters who are allowed to be pretty but not be defined by that come from comfortable enough backgrounds that they didn't have to commodify their beauty. But those who have to sell their beauty in some form may find that their looks, and even they themselves, are implicitly viewed as less than. In Erin Brockovich, Erin is aware of how her appearance gets her noticed and can open doors. You know, it would probably be easiest if I just squeezed back there and poked around myself, would that be all right with you? But this hasn't materialized in the future she expected her beauty might enable. I was Miss Wichita, for Christ's sake. And I thought it meant I was gonna do something important with my life, that, that it meant I was someone. Erin has to prove to those in the privileged law world that she's smart, resourceful, and hardworking very much in spite of how she looks. More specifically, she's constantly underestimated because of how she dresses, which is read by those around her as a telltale sign of her class background. Numerous culturally agreed-upon signifiers of beauty are really proxies for class. In recent eras, upper-class women have largely been associated with thinness, high fashion, and a more conservative look. So to be given respect for one's beauty, it's often important to be pretty in the right way, matching these elite class markers. In Mad Men, we see two very different examples of women who are defined in their society by their looks, in Betty Draper and Joan Holloway. Betty's sense of her identity has been formed by everyone treating her as beautiful, and by her own mother's emphasis on beauty as the pinnacle of womanly achievement. She wanted me to be beautiful so I could find a man. 
But while Betty's beauty gets her the upper middle class housewife status she wanted, I'm a housewife. Over time, her narrow vision of herself holds Betty back, and she's unable to unlock a deeper agency or self-understanding. Joan is valued by the men of Sterling Cooper for her eye-catching curves and sex appeal, a form of beauty that's highly desired but not given the same class status as Betty's more marriageable beauty and frequently leads to her being disrespected. I need some madam from a Shanghai whorehouse to show me the ropes. I know what men think of you. That you're looking for a husband and you're fun and not in that order. For a while, Joan accepts the supposed rules of this whole game and is focused on finding a man. But when she finally gets a version of her domestic ideal, she finds it unfulfilling. And she's increasingly frustrated that people at work overlook her considerable talents. What do you do around here besides walking around like you're trying to get raped? Joan gradually stops catering as much to male validation and leans into being an independent mother and career woman. Her ultimate rise to partnership as Sterling Cooper explicitly entails her capitalizing on her beauty, as Sterling Cooper trades sex with her as part of a business deal. But while this leads some men in the office to resent or pity her, she gets to where she does not only by leveraging this situation smartly, Tell them I want a partnership, not silent, comprising 5% of the business but also primarily due to all the intelligence, hard work, and drive she shows before and after this event. The pretty girl struggles because there's so much more to her than meets the eye. And the same is true of the protagonist of But I'm a Cheerleader. This cult classic about a cheerleader sent to a conversion therapy program for queer youth is just one gem streaming on movie this month. As a special gift to our viewers, Movie is offering 30 days free. Just click the link in the description below to start streaming now. If you're anything like me, these days you may be totally uninspired and stuck when it comes to figuring out what to watch next. Subscribing to Movie completely fixes that. Their team of curators handpicks every film they show, so there's always something new to discover. They seriously love movies as much as we do, so their recommendations are always top-notch. Click the link in the description below to get 30 days of movie now. In countless stories where beautiful actors' looks are downplayed with makeup and costuming, or certain characters are singled out by the writing as pretty, we can more easily see how the pretty identity is in large part a received social cue. Stories featuring drastic makeovers suggest most of us wouldn't even notice if someone's pretty unless that person is displaying all the signifiers and shorthands we associate with beauty like makeup or form-fitting outfits. Hi, is that you? I have gel in my hair. Many of what most people agree upon as pretty has a degree of arbitrariness, or is less about aesthetics than connotations of class, money, and race. Features like blonde hair have long been prized due to cultural factors like the rarity of blonde hair and its association with a white Western beauty ideal. To this day, our society is highly colorist, glamorizing lighter-skinned people of color across film and TV while offering far fewer roles to darker-skinned people of color. Even attributes of beauty that we tend to view as objective aren't truly. Studies show that if you have between 104 degree or 108 degree um, nasal tip rotation, oh. those are the ones that are considered the most beautiful and hers is 106. Characteristics like symmetrical faces or curves were once agreed on as beautiful because of their associations with fertility. But since today, these things are hardly correlated with an individual's level of fertility, they can be seen as ultimately random and again, culturally received. A person's beauty might easily be overlooked if they're not well off enough to be dressed in the right clothes, or if they're perceived as smart, since our society is so primed to view women as either brainy or beautiful. In The Queen's Gambit, at first, Beth is only defined through her intellect, and in the original novel is explicitly described as ugly. Despite being played by the classically beautiful Anya Taylor-Joy, the show defines her early on not by how she looks. 
X plus Y is a binomial. Very good. Let's turn to page 24. But as her prodigious chest talent begins to reveal itself, she begins to be styled in more high fashion outfits, carries herself with greater confidence, and is desired by numerous men around her. What happened to that gawky kid who kicked my ass five years ago? <laughs> Apparently she grew up. It's Beth's confidence and success that allow people to see her as beautiful. This mirrors the reality that often we only recognize beauty when it's framed by wealth and beautiful clothes, or is first recognized by others. Beauty standards are always changing. She certainly has a symmetry and low body fat that Western culture deems desirable. It's noteworthy. At other points in history, heavier women were the standard for beauty. Whereas a key marker of elite beauty has long been the aura of not having to try or being born with it, just like aristocratic status in general, recently we're seeing a rise of the concept of more effortful American rags-to-riches beauty, a change embodied in modern beauty role models like the Kardashians. The contemporary ideal body type is only achievable through a great deal of work and money. But the ideal type right now is particularly a particularly tricky feat of engineering. Simultaneously curvy and toned, voluptuous and meager, the Protestant work ethic writ onto flesh. And today's beauty influencers make big money through explicitly turning being the pretty girl into a clear-cut job. As these professionals emphasize the beauty process, showing the how-to and the before and after, by doing so, in a sense, they demystify the pretty girl as yet another enterprise that's chosen, worked at, and constructed. Beautiful people can be viewed as a fantasy. Hollywood actress Rita Hayworth famously said, every man I knew went to bed with Gilda and woke up with me. This is the part I really like is when she does that shit with her hair. Oh yeah, I know, I've seen it three times this month. Uh, Gilda, are you decent? Me? While actual beauty can take many forms, our society's classic ideal of beauty is rather specific, manufactured by the male imagination. In 1895, Life magazine illustrator Charles Dana Gibson invented Gibson Girls, drawings of well-endowed, full-lipped women who embodied beauty ideals of the time. Gibson Girls were one guy's interpretation of feminine beauty, but their huge circulation within the pages of Life magazine gave these fake women an outsized influence. Savannah Cox writes, For the first time in the United States, men had an easily attainable source of feminine fantasy at their fingertips. Pinup girls and glamour models to follow have continued this feeling of being a blank slate more than a fleshed out individual, leaving space for the viewer to project onto them. Creating a successful pinup means putting on canvas a dream girl who will appeal to countless people in all walks of life. One of the biggest pinups of the 20th century isn't a person at all, but cartoon character Jessica Rabbit. I'm not bad. I'm just drawn that way. Literally described by director Robert Zemeckis as the ultimate male fantasy, Jessica in her opening scene deliberately evokes Rita Hayworth's put the blame on Mame scene from Gilda. Jessica Rabbit's heightened, unrealistic proportions and her highly eroticized dancing are so extreme, they're almost mocking the absurdity of male expectations for female bodies. But ironically, this cartoon has continued to be a blueprint. In The Mask, Cameron Diaz's entrance as Gina Carlisle at the Coco Bongo Club feels indebted to Jessica Rabbit, and her choice of a song about serving a man again plays into this ultimate male fantasy. Ain't I good to you? While fantasy may be prized over reality initially or in the abstract, 
In the end, there's a hollowness to it. Not seeing someone as they really are prevents any true intimacy. This tension between male fantasy and real woman is explored in LA Confidential through the criminal Pierce Patchett's business of selling sex with women who've had cosmetic surgery to look like movie stars. There's Gardner, Russell, Monroe, Turner. Lynn Bracken is my Veronica Lake. I use girls that look like movie stars. Straddling the line between fantasy and reality is Lynn Bracken, who didn't get cosmetic surgery. And her deeper romance with Detective Bud White is built on how White is able to see beyond the fantasy image to the real person she is. I see Bud because he makes me feel like Lynn Bracken and not some Veronica like look alike. The seeing of beautiful women as an unreal fantasy is often linked to any profession that involves feminine beauty or a woman capitalizing on her body. When supermodel Elle McPherson guest stars as Joey's roommate in Friends, the fact that she's a dancer is immediately fetishized by Joey right in front of her. I'm a dancer. You're a dancer? She's a dancer. But ultimately, Joey's interest in this character is far more fleeting than his feelings for the female friends in his life that he sees as real people. Similarly, in New Girl, Cece's job as a model means she is immediately objectified by the three guys in the loft. It's only as the friends begin to get to know Cece, not as the supermodel fantasy, but as Jess's friend, that they begin to see who she is and can build real relationships, including platonic friendships with her. And as we talked about in our Cece video, being appreciated for her friend quality help Cece see herself as more than just pretty and unlock the confidence to start a high-powered career as a talent agent. We saw you on the phone with that photographer and you have a gift. Because the pretty girl character in stories has forever been the prize for the male main character, seeking to become this creates a strange situation for a woman, striving to be an ideal love interest or an actualization of someone else's fantasy instead of living in your own point of view. And while it's not just women who are constrained by all these factors, it's striking that in many situations still today, women often don't have the privilege of not looking pretty, where men are just not routinely held to the same standards or expected to put so much effort into their presentation. It looks like they just fell out of bed and put on some baggy pants and take their greasy hair, ooh, and cover it up with a backwards cap and like, we're expected to swoon? There has always existed a fear around beauty, as if pretty people have the power to corrupt or lead impressionable people down the wrong path. Socrates warned that a kiss from a beautiful woman was deadlier than spider's venom, saying, whenever you see someone beautiful, flee without looking back. And on screen, the duplicitous pretty girl can tempt a protagonist, male or female, away from the right path, using her beauty to disguise the bad values she truly espouses. Building on the way that we've seen characters judged for selling their beauty, the femme fatale or beautiful villain goes further to weaponize their beauty. Femme fatales know full well how powerful their attractiveness is, and in addition to their lack of deference to domestic ideals, it's their sexual confidence that makes them so threatening. Would you tell us the nature of your relationship with Mr. Boz? He gave me a lot of pleasure. In recent years, horror films have sometimes used the femme fatale figure to make more complex points. In Jordan Peele's Get Out, Rose presents as the sweet liberal girlfriend of the protagonist, Chris. Like a classic femme fatale, she's weaponizing her appeal to bring a man down, in this case, in service of white supremacy. Where are those keys, Rose? 
You know I can't give you the keys, right, babe? But with her pretend goodness and faux progressive values, she's proving how the fake prettiness of a certain easy-to-copy liberal performance can serve to hide a person's true outlook and intentions. Megan Fox in Jennifer's body personifies the sexy, psychotic femme fatale who's lusted over by the entire student body to a degree that they willingly let her lure them to their deaths. But it's revealed that Jennifer only becomes a man-eating succubus after being sacrificed by a group of men. So the story is really exposing how this character is a victim. Ever since then, I just knew what I had to do to be strong. Jennifer's body also played on Fox's own burgeoning reputation as a star and sex symbol, and the way in which she had been over-sexualized from a young age. His solution to that problem was to then have me dancing underneath a waterfall getting soaking wet. And that's... Perfectly wholesome. At 15, I was in 10th grade. <laughs> Through Fox's experience, we see in microcosm just how beauty can be used to elevate and diminish at the same time. It was her status as a sex symbol in Transformers that helped build her career, but when she criticized director Michael Bay, she was punished and called trailer trash who should have been grateful to Bay, again illustrating how class and beauty intersect in the public eye. Whether the beautiful villain is played as a straight bad girl, a more nuanced, misunderstood character, or a sympathetic casualty of her society, one thing that underpins all beautiful villains is that they're aware of the power of their looks, and then try in some way to wrestle back control over that power. This, in the eyes of their society, is their fundamental sin. Even if pretty privilege is real, it's fleeting. In both professional and personal spheres, the pretty identity is always in tension with the aging process. Duh, I'm a 31-year-old model. And in a wider cultural sense, what's considered pretty is always shifting. So this isn't a firm foundation on which to base an identity. It's important to develop a sense of self that's grounded in a sense of one's own lasting inner beauty. He doesn't make me feel like I'm a pretty girl. He makes me feel like, like me. This is The Take on your favorite movie shows and culture. Subscribe so you can watch all of our videos.